How'd you like that? All the men are like, I could watch the rest of that. That goes on for about 10 minutes. You can look it up. That's why we left the website up there. All the women are like, what is he doing? We're blowing up things today. You see, here's the, the main point of the message today is this, that God is in the business of breaking down walls. And you think the implosions you just saw in that video were great. Let me share with you from Ephesians 2 that God is in the business of breaking down a more significant wall than any of those that we've just seen get blown up. Dave Shive a couple of weeks ago got us into the book of Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians 2 today. And in the first part of Ephesians 2, we saw that God, first of all, broke down the wall between himself and us. There is a huge wall, God says, between us and him when we come into the earth. In fact, in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, Paul says to the Ephesian church, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no access to God. There was no way God could entertain a relationship with us. And yet that's God's goal in creation. God wants us to be a part of his forever family. And so Ephesians 2 continued, and it's not because of anything we can do to break down the wall. God breaks down the wall by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And even that's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not from works, lest anyone should boast. So we come to God by faith, by faith in this Jesus that we worshiped last Sunday through the resurrection. He's paid for our sin on the cross. He's been raised up to new life. And because he is still alive and we put our trust in him for having paid our punishment, we're no longer dead. The book says you were dead, but not you are dead. You if you belong to Jesus, are alive in Christ. And so the theme of Ephesians is all of these things that go on for us in Christ. And so that's where we're at. In fact, in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, it says, But God, I love that, but God, we're going to see that again today, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. So if you belong to Christ, you were dead, but now you are alive. And the wall that existed between you and God has been torn down, blown up, imploded. It's kaput. Kaputamundo. Now there's another wall, and Ephesians 2 is going to go into that wall. And it's the wall that exists between people groups. And God's in the business of breaking down walls not only between himself and people, but between different groups of people. Today's message is all about the term reconciliation. Say that, reconciliation. You know, there's a lot of great doctrines in the, in the faith. But the doctrine of reconciliation simply means there's a wall between different groups of people and God's going to get rid of the wall so they can enjoy a relationship one with another. And when you go to the book of Ephesians, the reconciliation is going to take place between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Gentiles. You see, God's world has two kinds of people in it, Jews and Gentiles. If you're of Jewish descent, God bless you. If you're not of Jewish descent, you're a Gentile. But from the beginning of time, or from the beginning of the Jewish race, there was always this problem that existed between the Jews and the Gentile. And so in Ephesians 2 and verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called the what? Uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember 
that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Huh? If you weren't born Jewish, particularly in the first century, you had nothing going for you. You had no hope. You have no hope. One of my favorite friends is a guy named Bernard Langer. If you're a golfer, you know that name. Bernie's a little German guy about this big, and he, and he still weighs about 138 pounds. I just hate him. The first time I met Bernard, he poked me in the stomach. He said, well, Ed, he sounded like Hans and Vita. He said, well, Ed, you could, you could stand to lose a little weight. And he was right. But, but Bernard uh, was really ministered to in this particular passage. And the wall that was broken down in Christ allowed him as a, as a German to go back to Israel with me and have incredible fellowship with Jewish believers in Christ. Even though Bernhard's relatives had, had persecuted uh, the Jewish believers' relatives unbelievably. And it was an amazing thing to watch. But you see, when you come into this world and you're not a Jew, there's a wall that exists between the Jewish people and us. Here it is. Here's what happens with this wall. First of all, we're the uncircumcision. And, and circumcision is just an outward sign of what goes on inwardly, supposedly in the Jewish heart. But there are about five different things that are packed into this couple of verses. The first of all is that we're separated from Christ. You see, Christ is Jewish. And God set up the Jewish people so as to bring Christ into the world. And so there's a separation. There's a wall that exists. If you have your Bible, take the whole thing out, because a lot of times this is a good way to understand the whole story of the Bible. How many of you went through the walkthrough? See, that was fun, wasn't it? Well, this is an even simpler way. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11, God is trying to build his family. And so he says, any group of people can come and be my people. I want to find a group of people that will be identified as the Lord's people. And so any people can come through chapter 11. No people showed up. And so beginning in chapter 12, all the way toward the end of your Bible, to the book of Acts chapter 2, God says, hey, I'm going to make my own people. And he starts with Abraham. Abraham was the first Jew. But you know, Abraham wasn't always Jewish. I have Jewish friends that say, well, you're not Jewish. Yeah, well, your, your father Abraham was a drunken Canaanite. He was from Ur. He was a Chaldean, you know. In reality, all of our, all of our families are, are descending from uh, sinful Gentiles. Abraham gave his wife away twice. Abraham was not, a, was not a wonderful person, but he did love God. And so God said, okay, I'm going to use you to start my nation. And so all of this in the Bible, from Genesis 12 to Acts 2, is the story of God blessing Israel. And if, if you want to know God, you've got to come through Israel. And if you're a Gentile, you're separated from Israel. Now finally, in Acts chapter 2, Israel is displaced. And from Acts chapter 2 through the end of the, Old, of the New Testament, this last bit of, bit of your Bible, about one-fourth of it, it's all about now you don't need to be a Jew anymore to know God. But in the beginning, at the time of the church, all of the first believers were Jews. And now Paul goes out into the world and he finds at Ephesus a church. He starts a church there. And Thousands of Gentiles are coming to faith. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do about that? Maybe we should have two churches. Let's have a Jewish church and a Gentile church. Nah, that ain't it. 
And so they actually had a big meeting in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and they said, hey, let's figure out a way so that the Jews and the Gentiles can come together. And that's what Ephesians 2 is about. And all the Gentile men were like, yes, I don't want to become a Jew. Think about it. If you were a Gentile in the first century, you were excluded from Israel. You were not a citizen of Israel. The word in the verse is the word politics. You couldn't even participate in the politics of Israel if you were a Gentile. You lived behind this wall. See, here we are, we're the Jews back here, and we have all these blessings, and you're out there, and you're separated, and you can't play on our game because you're not Jewish. There's a barrier there. And so Paul says you're uncircumcised, you're separate from Israel, you're excluded from Israel, you're strangers to the covenants. You see, in Genesis 12, God starts making covenants. Covenants are just legal promises. And in Genesis 12, we have the Abrahamic covenant. But you've got to be Jewish to get it. In 2 Samuel 7, you have the Davidic covenant. But you've got to be Jewish to enjoy the, the contract. In Jeremiah 31, 31, we have the new covenant. But it's promised to people of Israel, given by the Jewish prophet Jeremiah. See, the the Jews looked at the Gentiles and they called us dogs. And rightly so. But they forget that their ancestor Abraham was a Gentile dog. They had access to God. They had the covenant promises of God. You see, what happened was, Abraham had two families. He had a family with Sarah, his wife, and then he had another wife. By the way, Abraham was a polygamist. And he had a child with Hagar. And then the whole battle goes on between the Jew and the non-Jew. Isaac is the son of promise, and he's the one through whom the nation Israel is developed. But Ishmael, his older brother, is the son of Hagar, and he becomes the progenitor of the Arab people. And so the strife that goes on in much of the world today is as a result of Abraham's bad choice to have sex with a woman that wasn't really his wife. They both call him Father Abraham, but the battle is, who's the right son? Are you a descendant of Isaac? The Jews say. If you're a descendant of Ishmael, the Gentiles, the Muslims, the Arabs say, that's our guy. But the Jews had everything better. They had the promises. They had the prophets. They had the hope of Messiah. But the, the Gentiles, they got no hope. You have no hope. Bernard Langer was playing golf one time with a friend of mine. That's why I remember Bernie. He had no hope. He was a golfer uh, professionally. Bernard is in the, in, the, in the Hall of Fame for golf. My friend's name was John, and they played nine holes together. John had been playing golf six months. Any of you play golf? I played golf for a number of years, and then I, for the good of the game, I gave it up. I am the worst at golf. I am not a patient man. I am not athletic. I just swung hard and hoped. But golf is a very annoying game. And so after nine holes, Bernard Langer looks at my friend John and he says, John, I want to tell you about golf. <clears throat> you have no hope. He says, John, golf is a game of angles and you have none of them. I mean, this would be like you know, going out to, to create a business deal with Bill Gates and Bill Gates saying, you are not worthy. So that's what the Gentiles felt like. Oh, you got no hope. You don't have a promise of Messiah. You don't have the covenants. You don't have a passport in the nation of Israel. And therefore, you are without God. The word in the text in Ephesians 2 is you're an atheist. And it's, it's ironic because the Christians at the time of the first century were called atheists without God because the church would not bow down to Caesar who was God. So they were called 
atheistos. So it's a miserable, miserable condition to live in. Have you ever felt like you just didn't belong? Have you ever felt like you were excluded? Have you ever felt like you were persecuted against? Sure you have. My family moved from Pennsylvania to Lakeland, Florida in 1967. Now, my family is a hodgepodge. We're a melting pot. My grandfather, with the name Diaz, came from Spain, and he married an Italian woman, and in their home they only spoke Italian. My mother was Scotch and Welsh and Presbyterian to the core. My mom and dad got married. My dad's family had a funeral for him. And that's what happens today if a, if a Jewish person marries outside their faith. If they're Orthodox Jews, they will hold a funeral. You are dead to me. And then my mom, who's an Anglo, moves to Lakeland, Florida with the name Diaz. Only we say it wrong. It's supposed to be Diaz. And the first week she's here, someone has sent flowers to us, which should be a really good thing. But the guy on the other end of the line hated Cubans. How did my mother know she was Cuban? She wasn't. She was Scotch and Welsh. But the guy on the other end of the line said, if you damn Cubans knew knew how to tell us where you live, we'd get you these flowers. My mother was appalled. She was excluded. She was separated. She couldn't enjoy the flowers. You see, that's what happens between people groups. Because if you show preference to your own group to the exclusion of all others, then it becomes a prejudice. And it can be male-female, it can be black and white, it can be rich or poor, it can be Hispanic, non-Hispanic. In my family, when I lived in Texas, I thought everybody thought we were Mexicans. We were called wetbacks. I got jobs on the freight docks because they thought I was Mexican and they needed to fill the quota. It worked out pretty good for me. But you see, my wife got a job as a a nurse in Dallas, and as soon as she walked in and they realized that my wife is English and not Hispanic, they demoted her because they needed a Hispanic person in the higher job. So these things go on, and if you're a Gentile at the time of the first century, you have no hope. This is really just describing what a slave felt like. A slave in the first century was one of a large number of people. In the Roman Empire, as many as 30% of the people were slaves. They could not become citizens. They could not have any rights. They could not vote. They could not have a court case held in their behalf. They had nothing going for them. They lived not ever being welcomed into the household with the citizens. They were excluded. They had no hope. Here's our verse. But now, here's another but verse. But now, and we're in Christ Jesus You who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Jesus takes place, shows up, and he gets rid of the wall. How does he do this? For he himself is our what? Peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Jesus says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to take this wall and I'm going to knock it down. I wanted to have Hans and Fida come up and do that. But they were girly men today and would not dress up. <laughs> you see, before Christ shows up, there's a barrier between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Jesus shows up and he becomes the peacemaker between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. 
How does he do this? By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that's the strife or the tension or the anger, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he took care of the the death sentence that everyone should have had. We We celebrated Easter last week, but prior to Easter is Good Friday. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our death on him. That's what the law, all those Jewish ordinances... You know, in the middle of the Bible, this main three-fourths of the Bible, 613 laws. And if you break the law, you deserve to die. Jesus said, I'm going to die in their place. So that's what he did. So that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. It's a little bit like a marriage. You know, I do marriage counseling from time to time. My favorite thing to do is premarital counseling. But... You know, Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to make a transformed kind of Jewish-Gentile combined person. No. He says, I'm going to take this group, and I'm going to take this group, and I'm going to make a new man, a new person. You know, when you get married, you have the bride from one family and the groom from another family, and they come together with their heritage, but when they come together, they're supposed to make a whole new family. That's what the church is. If you belong to Jesus, you're in a whole new family family. We can appreciate our past, but we don't need to be prejudiced because of our past. Because Jesus brought into existence one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having put death the enmity. See, when Jesus died, he died for the people on this side of the wall, and he died for the people on that side of the wall. And he put them together in one body. So now, If you're a Jewish person and you love Jesus, like my great friend Rick Rickart, we are one in Christ. You know, even though my relatives and his relatives might have hated each other for political reasons, we are one in Christ. There's nothing I wouldn't do for Rick and there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. And it ought to extend to other people groups as well. And so that's where Paul goes with the rest of the passage. It says, in Jesus, he came and preached peace to those who were far away. Those are the Gentiles. You know, if you're in Israel... The people who are far away are the Gentiles. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give you peace. And peace to those who are near. Those are the the Jews. So there's no reason not to live at peace in the church. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Therefore, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Now let me just show you how this works out. First thing, we're given access to God. Just the way the Jews had access to God, now we have access to God, except we both have a new access to God. If you were a Jew, you had to go to Jerusalem, you had to climb the Mount of Moriah, and you had to go into the temple, and you could get into the courtyard of the Jews. If you were a Gentile, you couldn't get so close. There was a wall that set you apart called the courtyard of the Gentiles. It was about five feet high, and it was written on there, no Uh, non-Jew can enter beyond this point. But the wall is gone, and now we both have access to God. You see, in in the Jewish world, only the high priest got to go into the temple, into the presence of God one day a year, but we can both go before God, Jew or Gentile. Isn't that great? In addition, we're given the same Holy Spirit. When I preached a few weeks ago, I talked about this Holy Spirit. He is the Uh, seal of our salvation he seals us in and he's the down payment on heaven we get the same holy spirit as the jewish people have 
So we're one together in the body of Christ. We're no longer strangers and aliens. You see, there are no second-class citizens in the family of God. There's no back of the bus in heaven. It's not like God says, okay, I'm going to live here in my house and my favorite children get to have access to me and my least favorite children need to live out on the outside wing. Now, sometimes I'd like to do that with my own children. But God doesn't do that. In fact, we are no longer aliens. I I watch 60 Minutes sometimes, and last week they had an incredible story on the lost boys of the Sudan. Do you remember who they were? About 10 years ago, uh, several hundred children from the Sudan had suffered the ravages of war. And over a period of time, the United States allowed them to come as refugees of war from the Sudan. And they've traced them now over 10 years. The cool thing was, first of all, most of them were doing very well. But now, they've lived in the U.S. long enough, many of them, to have citizenship. And they, and they went with three of these guys to their swearing-in ceremony where they not only were given citizenship, but they had already applied for a passport. And one of these wonderful, sweet black men, and by the way, it was mostly Christians that did all this, that he had this huge smile and he held up his passport. And he said, you know, I'm a 28-year-old man, but I, for the first time, I'm not an alien. I'm not a stranger. I have citizenship in my new homeland. That's what you get when you come to Christ. You get a new passport. Our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is with, with Christ We're fellow citizens with all the believers in the world. No matter where you go in the world, when you find somebody that loves Jesus, you can have intimate fellowship with them immediately. You know, that's why Jesus says, I I drew them near. If if God is here and I'm moving to God and my friend is there and they're moving to God, we're, we're being drawn near to each other and God. And that's what needs to go on in the church. We're members of God's household. Again, the slave couldn't even go into the household in the Roman world. He wasn't allowed in there, or, or they, would, they would kill him, or at least punish him. And then here's the coolest thing of all, when you get right down to the story of the Ephesian church. Remember this picture? It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What is the cornerstone? The cornerstone is the most important stone. It aligns all the other stones in the building. If you don't have the cornerstone right, the walls don't go upright. Well, Jesus is is our cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together and is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. I'm going to Israel this week. Sometimes people call it the Holy Land. The land's not holy. It's only holy in the sense of what God's done there. But people are holy. Why? Because God lives in people now. God doesn't live in a building now. The temple's gone. The wall is torn down to the temple. Now, we are given all this stuff, but most importantly, we as followers of Christ, bottom line, are built into the temple of God. If you have the Holy Spirit, and I have the Holy Spirit, and all believers have the Holy Spirit, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, But do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to go to Israel to find God. You ought to go to Israel to learn your Bible better. But you ought to be able to find God living in every follower of Jesus. Now, in their world, they had this temple dedicated to Diana. It was enormous. It was 160 foot wide and 360 feet long. It had a courtyard that was 220 by 425. The the foundation's still there. 
It had 127 columns, and there were thousands of stones that built into that temple. So when Paul says, you guys, you guys are built into the temple of God, they would picture, oh my goodness, there's something more special here going on than even this temple of Diana. We belong to each other. Now what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? You know, sometimes as you preach through the epistles, there are things that are practical and things that are doctrinal. This is a doctrine of the, of the doctrine of reconciliation. And so here's what I want to do is give you a couple of principles and a couple of applications. Remember, God is in the business of breaking down walls between himself and us and between people groups. God is a reconciler. God wants people in his family to get along. Principle number one, if you idolize one group, you are in danger of demonizing another. And it's, it's okay to be proud of our country. I love our country. But when I say ours is the only country worth living in, if I say ours is the only country that's any good, then I'm endangering a prejudicial behavior. There are many countries. And just because they do life differently doesn't make it better or worse. You know, I grew up in the Northeast. I've converted. I'm, a, I'm not a Yankee anymore. You know, but I still love my childhood. But my past does not define me. My past simply explains me. You can do this with your, with your political party. Oh, those lousy Democrats. Oh, those lousy Republicans. <clears throat> they can't be Christians and belong to Jesus. Yeah, they can. I've got good and godly friends who are both. We can do it gender-wise. Oh, male and female. You know, I love women. I have no idea how they, how they work. You know, my wife and I have been married for 40, almost 42 years, and I still have no idea whether we're doing well or not. I'm just amazed I wake up and she's still there for me. But, you know, when I start to say, oh, it's better to be a man, at the exclusion no women, no women are allowed, then that's gone from preference to prejudice. It can be denominations. You know, I, I taught in the Presbyterian Church for 22 years, and we knew God was a Presbyterian. And we know there's a special section of heaven dedicated to the TBA people. We're going to be closest to the throne, right? Because God is just like we are. But see, you have to be careful you don't fall into prejudicial treatment. It's okay to say, hey, I like these people, but it's not okay to say, hey, they're better. They're not better. If they belong to Jesus, they're one with us. So the principle is the, the responsibility for rec rec reconciliation is on me. Let me give you two more verses and then we'll, we'll finish up. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew. This is Jesus talking now. This is Jesus talking. When there's a problem in the church, here's what needs to happen. This is how we get this to happen and not this to happen. In, in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come back with your offering. If you remember that someone has a problem with you, it is your job to go to them and reconcile the situation. Say, look, I am sorry that I offended you. And I've always encouraged people to, to ask for forgiveness. I am sorry that I did this. Would you forgive me? Now, at that point, I have done my job. It's up to them whether or not they want to forgive me. 
But when I realize I've offended someone, my job, whether it's with my wife or my kids or my neighbors or my coworkers or the people I play with, is to go to them and say, look, I apologize for offending you. Would you forgive me? I'd like there to be a reconciliation. But let's suppose I'm the one that's offended. Jesus talks to that in Matthew chapter 18. He says in Matthew chapter 18 this, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault where? In private. Don't talk about it among your co-workers. Don't talk about it among all your family members. Don't get the problem so big that it can't resolve it. Go in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But... If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact can be confirmed. See, the the onus is always on me. If someone offends me, I'm to go to them and say, hey, this has me concerned. Let me tell you what not to do. Don't write an email. In fact, don't ever write an anonymous email. If you write an anonymous email, I'm going to call you a coward. You you know, you're never going to have reconciliation from an anonymous letter or an anonymous email. Go to the person. Look them in the eye. Say, here's what I think you've done, and I'm offended at that. It hurts me that you've done that. And I want to make this right between us. What, What do I need to do to make this work if we just did that in our families and in our workplaces and in our church? We would be known as people who are the building blocks of the temple of God. Well, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to pray. And while the band comes, I want you to think about doing this for me. We don't usually do this, and I'm not a touchy-feely guy, but I think it would be a good picture for us today. I want you to stand up, and I want you to squeeze out of the aisles and come across, and I want you to consider either putting your hands on the shoulders of the person next to you or holding hands with them. And we're going to pray together just to illustrate the fact that we are the building blocks of the temple of God because God has a job for us to do to go out into South Lakeland and have a ministry of reconciliation to tell people there's a wall that's broken down between you and God. There's a wall that's broken down between people groups. And maybe there's somebody as you're doing this that God will bring to mind. Maybe there's a people group that you don't like. Maybe you have a prejudice issue, and you need to get over that. You need to ask God for forgiveness and get over that. Maybe there's a personal situation where someone's done something to you and it's hurt you, or you've done someone else harm and you need to go to them. And I'd like to pray for us as a group that we become known as people who are peacemakers. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Father, we love you and we are thankful that the wall is broken down between you and us. And you've left us here behind to break walls down between us and other people. And I pray that as a church here at TBA, we would be stones that are building blocks, not tearing down blocks. That we would be one with one another and that we would be one with the community around us. Father, help us to take the message of reconciliation seriously, that we're to be tearing down walls between ourselves and other people. Father, even now in the quietness as we pray, is there someone that we've offended that we need to go to and ask for forgiveness? Is there someone that we need to go to and say, hey, I've been hurt by what you've done. Can we make this right? Father, if if both people are in Christ, then we're forgiven by you and we need to show and offer forgiveness. Father, as a group, I thank you that we are the building blocks of your temple here in South Lakeland among all the other churches, Father. You you, you put us here to give the message of reconciliation to our world. And we pray you'd find us faithful as we begin to knock down the barriers between people 
and groups and political party and race, that all of those things can be knocked down in Jesus, for we come in his name.